Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp leading up to the Battle of the Boot Week off of an interesting weeks for our teams, LSU and Arkansas, about to be live in the Death Valley. And I'm afraid, Bob, that the odds aren't looking good for you because I feel like I feel like LSU is coming, coming in a little bit bitter, a little bit angry with a little chip on the shoulder, something to prove after being discounted as a opponent to Alabama. To be honest, even by me, I decided I probably wasn't even going to watch the game because I assumed it was going to be inappropriate for television how bad the beating would be. (laughs) But the fact that LSU kind of hung in there for a little bit with Alabama and even to the last seconds, you guys are going to have to come live to Death Valley on a Saturday night, and there's no more dangerous place than live in Death Valley on Saturday night. Well, I, I do think there is a more dangerous place. And Jimbo, if I'm if I reach back in my memory, it's outside of what's cooking early in the morning for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> that could be true. That could be that true. Could, yes. But yeah, I think LSU's probably got an edge for a, a edge on Arkansas. And Arkansas's not been playing that great. And, you know, we eked out a, a win against state because they apparently don't have anybody in Mississippi State who can kick a field goal. So if you're for all of those boot camp listeners who are at Mississippi State, stop listening to this podcast, head on down to the football stadium and try to kick some field goals and get your school paid for. There you go. See if you can walk on and become the hero of the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm excited to see what comes from that game this weekend. My plan is to be in Arkansas with my family at my parents' house in enemy territory, watching the game, enjoying uh, some time with family, and I'll be taking our boot trophy up for a short visit to so my family can see it. They haven't been in possession of it in many years. And so I wanted to make sure they at least get to see the boot. It's been with us now so many years. I went ahead and laced it up with some purple laces so that it it can show that it's starting to get some LSU personality to it as I take it up there with me. Well, we'll see how the uh, wager goes. Every year we do the boot camp wager here. And if I win, then you will wear the hog hat. We'll get a picture of that. And then if you win, I'll have to put on that pajama top from uh, LSU. And we will actually be together at the, I think the next time we're in the same physical location will be at the end of this month. And so the wager will be paid. We will have a connection in New Orleans at the seminary. We're doing some training and excited about that. We're actually going to be back in New Orleans in February, I think, Jimbo, for Am I a Replanter? Man, if you are near the area, you got to get down there. It's going to be great. Yeah. So we'll we'll put a link in the show notes for the Am I a Replanter event in February. We would love to see you if you can get there and traveling distance. There's some good lodging there at the seminary. Me, Bob, Fred Luter is going to be one of our speakers. George Ross, Ryan Rice. Double Doc is coming all the way from Key West with his wife, and they'll be a part of that event. It's really going to be a valuable time for anyone wanting to know more about replanting and if they're considering replanting or just wanting to know more or even partner churches that are looking to do replanting and want to understand more about what it takes to be a replanter and who they're looking for in order to do that. And then at the end of this month, if you're in the area, hit us up. We'll be there end of this month, and we'd love to see you if we can while we're there. Maybe we can go get some beignets while Bob wears an LSU pajama top. 
<laughs> now, I didn't say anything about wearing it actually out in like to a restaurant or anything, Jimbo. So if that's the wager you're making, then I'm I'm hoping the hogs win. I'd love to see you eating some uh, crawfish etouffee while wearing a Razorback hog hat. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we've got a question sent in to us for today's episode. It was sent via private message with the preface that is important for us. I'm not going to read the whole question, but this says, I do have a question. I ran it by my wife, and she said that I have to send it to you anonymously and that I cannot come on the episode to talk about this publicly. So somebody's asked, they sent in this question and said, you can't tell people who I am. You can't, you can't let people know who asked this question. And it, it's a longly worded question, but here's what it basically boils down to, Bob, is they want to know, what do I do with members that we've become friends with, but now there have been some pitfalls in that friendship. They've become a little bit needy, a little bit possessive, maybe even some inappropriate uses of influence in the friendship, trying to shift things in leadership because of the relational influence. It's hard to do pastoral correction with a peer. And so really the the question is about how do we manage boundaries and friendships with members. Man, that's a tough one because I think a lot of pastors and pastors' families struggle in the area of relationships with people in their congregation. I mean, think about it. If you are leaving a place where maybe you spent three or four years going to school, or maybe you're sent out from a church that's loving, a loving congregation, you're starting over, right? And one of the things I've, I've noticed, Jimbo, is the people who want to be your friend right from the get-go, right from the jump, are probably the people you should be a little wary of, right? So I'll just say that up front. If you just move to, if you move to a, a new ministry setting, the person who's really like just over the top pursuing you and really wants to be your friend, I, I would just say, be, don't always be suspicious, but... You should be wise and you might want to be a little bit wary because I've noticed in my own experience and then in some conversations with pastors, the person who's always around and always pursuing you, they may have a little bit of an agenda and they might not even know they have an agenda, but they might, they might have some sort of agenda. That's hard. And it makes the dynamics weird because we know that ministry is such a relational thing and that ministry is done in relationships, but there's a lot of different views on the different ends of the spectrum on how do you handle friendships as a pastor from pastors. I know that say, man, don't be friends. Do not be close friends with your church members. You cannot do it. It it won't work. You will get burned. And and it's because of some of these pitfall things to others who, who try to find all their friendships within the membership because they believe that that's how they're supposed to live incarnationally, relationally with the people. And all those things are interesting theoretical approaches to this quandary, but it's not easy to live this out in everyday life because relationships are such an important part of ministry. And so I've heard you say, Bob, be friendly with everyone, but be close friends with a few. Uh, And I think that's maybe an important important thing to think about here in the beginning of this conversation. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously you you want to be a person who is hospitable and warm and welcoming. And, you know, both of us, I think we're both more extroverted than introverted. And so it's going to be a little easier for us just to be friendly with folks. We like to hang out with people. So it's easy for us to grab lunch with folks after uh, church or maybe go to a game or hang out. And, and go to the party or and a birthday party or a bonfire or something like that. So I would just say in a general sense, 
be friendly with everybody. And all of those things that I just described, that's being friendly. And in those settings, you're going to have the opportunity to make some deeper connections where you might become close friends with a few. And I think of the, the verse in Proverbs that says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's going to be true of you all throughout your life. You're going to find some friends who, man, they're going to be there regardless if things are going well or if they're not going well. They're going to be with you just because that's who they are and they know how to do friendship and you've developed that with them. But there are some friends who are going to be friendly as long as things are going well and as long as the church is going the way they want it to. And I think in my own experience, what I've realized was that I think I emotionally invested in some relationships at a deeper level than they actually were. I just would want to say from from my experience, man, pastor, be wise in that. And you and your wife, be wise in that and know that you are to be friendly, but man, choose your friends very wisely. And most of the time you're going to have a few friends. You're not going to have like a a thousand friends. Now, it's kind of funny that we're talking about that because on Facebook, Jimbo, you and I probably have quite a few friends, right? And so the word friend for us in our culture can mean, it can mean somebody that I met once or somebody who's a friend of my friend or somebody who follows me on Facebook. And because they view my posts, they think I'm a friend. And so I think we we really need to maybe do some reclamation on that idea of what does it really mean to be in a friend versus what it means to be an acquaintance. Yeah, part of that, as we've discussed before, is it's hard. you can't really know if you can get in deep with somebody until you've had some disagreements and get on the other side uh, of disagreements. And so we're not saying that you need to contrive conflict in your relationships, but I, I might, I, some people would probably disagree with this, I'm sure, but I, I might would encourage you as far as how deep do you go in friendships I might would hold my cards a little close to my chest as far as being incredibly deeply vulnerable with somebody until we've been through some level of conflict where we, not where we are we're on the same side of a conflict against somebody, but where we had conflict with each other, where we had a disagreement on how something should happen and we were able to process through that. And as we get on the other side of that, that's that's really when you begin to see what a friendship can be and if it can survive that, if, if not even become stronger through a process like that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And man, it is so critical to, to have seasons with people. And this is really hard for pastors because pastors are typically in one location, maybe three to five years, and then they move on. And so really in that first year, if you're in a replant too, you're, you're afraid when people are coming at you, you're like, can I be friends with them? Can, can I trust them? Can I not? Like, especially if the church has had a, pa- a history of having difficult pastorates, right? Your, your radar's always up. So be friendly, but be friends with a few. And I love the advice of just, man, you've got to have a, you got to have a, a, several experiences over a period of time with someone to understand, man, is this, is this person someone I can really be developing a deeper friendship with. Now, one of the other weird pitfalls that I've seen happen, anonymous submitter of this question brought this up as well, and I've experienced this, and I've heard of some other pastors. It's not universal. It doesn't happen always. But sometimes, as you begin to develop a friendship, maybe it's a couple, right? And and like, as a, as a married couple, dating another couple is, is this what it feels like? Like you, like you're trying to figure out, like, do we, do we really actually get along? Do you like, does the husband like the husband? Does the wife like the wife? Can we actually enjoy each other and, and, and be the kind of couple that, that does this? And sometimes when you start 
to to hang out with somebody in the church, they will become possessive, and they'll they'll expect every Sunday we're going to go out to lunch after church, or and and they'll get frustrated maybe even if you go out with somebody else, <laughs> and it starts to feel like we actually are dating, like it's, it's become an exclusive <laughs> relationship, and that's one thing just to deal with in general. But what do you do with that when you're when you're a pastor, you're in leadership? at the church and all of a sudden somebody, and it may not be a couple, but somebody gets a possessiveness of you or your spouse in their relationship. Yeah, Jimbo, I think there's two choices. We could do the indirect approach or the direct approach. So I think as much as I'm a high D personality, you might want to start with the indirect approach first, right? So the other thing too is not only is the couple becoming possessive of you, but the congregation is noticing it, right? There are other people in your church who will notice that, like the pastor always goes out, he and his family always hang out with, or they always go out to lunch with, right? So the indirect approach is just varying that up, right? And then getting on the same page with your wife, because here's what I've noticed, and this probably happened to you when you pastored. Somebody asked you to go out to to lunch, and you thought, you know what? I, I know we've got leftovers at the house, and I'm thinking going out to lunch sounds really good to me. So they ask you, and you're just like, all right, yeah. And then you go and talk to your wife, and like she had... She was planning on eating the leftovers and then you going out in the yard and doing some, you know, planting flowers or whatever. Or the kids had this or that. So you and your wife got to get on the same page always in terms of like going out after church or going out on the weekend. You you, And it's OK to say, hey, you know what? Let me talk to my uh, wife and, and I want to make sure I, I'm not sure that I know everything's on on her plan or agenda or calendar. So let me check. But once you do that be on the same page with your wife. You might also need to be on the same page with your wife of just saying, Hey, we've gone out with this one group uh, or this one couple a lot. We, we probably need to vary it up. Or how about we mix somebody else in there too, to kind of, you know, lar- enlarge in the group to kind of make it a, a more of a, a, a larger group where that couple doesn't feel like they, they have some sense of ownership over you. So that's the indirect approach. Let's say you do that. And you've practiced that for a while. Maybe you've not, you've turned down an invitation. You've gone out with another couple. If the couple who's become possessive of you and wants to be kind of exclusive of you, if they want to talk about it, then you have to shift to the direct approach, right? To understand, okay, we're going to have to have a longer conversation here. And this might be a little bit more painful and probably will be painful. And how do I navigate this? And in the direct approach, I don't think you have to unpack the suitcase, you know? I don't think you have to unpack everything that you're thinking and feeling. And I don't think that's being disingenuous, but I think you need to just be careful in, in what you say and maybe just say, you know, hey, guys, we're we're just trying to get to know everybody in the church or we're spending time with, you know, a lot of different folks or we're really tired and we needed to be, you know, just as a family needed a break to kind of go home and like, just help me understand what, what are you thinking here? What, what are you feeling? What, what's going on? And leave an open-ended question rather than leveling an accusation. You wouldn't want to start the conversation. Well, I think you guys are just too possessive of us, right? Like that, then it's game on, right? And you just like, it's going to be a disaster. You just probably want to say, Hey, what are you thinking? Like, tell me what you're feeling and just process that out. And then ask a follow-up question. Well, why are you feeling that way? And then what's underneath that? And, and help, help me understand and all those sorts of questions. Then you'll sort of get to the bottom of that. Now, the problem is sometimes people who are real possessive, Jimbo, they won't have an emotional understanding of why they're frustrated or they might not have the words to describe what they're feeling. 
And what they're feeling may be coming from a place of woundedness or insignificance or, or a sense of power, right? If we can just, if we can be the couple that's always close to the pastor, and then that gives us power. And power brokers never betray their source of power. They, they always want to maintain it. And, and so I think you just got to be really wise and careful if you're taking that direct approach and addressing it head on. Part of the difficulty in this is the other dynamic is, is do you, I mean, do you enjoy, is it life-giving for you and your wife to spend time with this couple? You know, God blessed us early in our replant with uh, a couple that, a family that was transferred here by the military around the same time that we came here from New Orleans. They came from the same church we were at, and they were a huge blessing to us and became kind of a safe space for us to go and be relational. But we had to set we had to set some boundaries with them. And there's another couple that 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 was a part of the church for a long time with us that we became close enough and they were life giving to us that we went ahead and set some boundaries of hey, when we come to your house or you come to ours or we go to dinner together, what we need to do is there doesn't need to be uh, what I call the impromptu job performance review that you get a lot of times. <laughs> like I, my my least favorite part of, of going to a meal or, or a social environment with church members is oftentimes I felt like all of a sudden I was in the middle of an impromptu job performance review and they would start coming at me about certain things in the church. And, and in my mind, I had shifted to we're just hanging out as friends and we're whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we've had some friends that we've set that boundary with. And then there are others that have wanted to possess our, a lot of a lot of our time. And just to be honest, they were not life-giving for us. And so it, we knew going into it, this is ministry. This is, they're members of our church. And so we love them and we need to shepherd them and build relationship with them so that we can do that. But it wasn't life-giving. And so we did have to set boundaries on how much time we spent with them and know that this, this was kind of a ministry assignment time for us. And so we didn't go into that knowing it's, figuring out how to compartmentalize that. But even no matter which of those camps these people are in, here's the other piece I think is so hard, Bob. How do you shift from this peer relational mode and then when necessary, assert pastoral authority for corrective discipleship or even church discipline, right? When 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 there's behavior that just needs to be addressed that is not in line with the fruit of the Spirit, and is immature, like an arrogance, both arrogance, arrogant boastfulness, or or even the possessiveness, right? Even that possessive of you can only go out with us. There's a pastoral shepherding responsibility, in a sense, to kind of address that type of immaturity in a member. But it can, it's almost like you have to wear different hats. How do you make that distinction when doing that with a member? Yeah. You've touched on one of the most difficult situations in pastoring people that you're friendly with and also have become friends with. I think that you have to understand what hat you have on in, in that moment. And then sometimes you got to take one hat off and put another one on. And so I, I think introducing a conversation to say to someone, hey, man, I need to talk to you just as a brother in Christ here. That's like the friend aspect of it, right? Man, I've noticed this about, you know, the the way you interact with your wife and I've just have some concerns about that, right? And And so... Can I? Can we just have that conversation, right? That's that's a way to introduce that. I mean, I, I'm your, I love you. I'm your friend. I'm your brother. Let's have the conversation, Jimbo. If that doesn't go well, 
And if other people, perhaps other elders, are becoming aware of, let's say, a, a situation in a marriage, then you have to move out of that friend and peer role into that pastor role. And this is why there have to be a, not just one pastor, but several pastors, right, that are involved in caring for the congregation, I think is, is super helpful. Or if they're not, and some of our guys that are replanters, they stepped into a situation where they, they have deacons or they have committee leaders. They don't have other elders, right? So they're at, a, they're at a distinct disadvantage in some regards in doing church discipline or having caring conversations. They have to, to move into that position relationship, right? I'm now the pastor as a person who's been entrusted with overseeing the flock. And now we're going to have to have a different conversation. And man, I had to, I've had to do that before. And that changes the relationship. And I, I've seen that and I've experienced that. And I can't think of a situation where I've had to go from a peer, kind of friend, kind of brother to a positional pastor and deal with an issue where it's gone back to the, this, the peer relationship again. And that's been my experience over the multiple, multiple years I've been in ministry. And, you know, I'll say maybe I've handled it wrong. Maybe I've done it wrong. But in the instances that have that I've had to act as a pastor from position, there have been significant issues. One was a, a real strong marital issue, and one of them was a, a guy that wanted to be an elder, and he wasn't tithing, and he wasn't he couldn't show up to church on time. So he just wanted to be my friend, and I was like, "Hey, bro, if you're not giving and you're not able to show up to church on time, I've got real questions about you being an elder." <laughs> and so, man, that we immediately moved from friendship to pastor congregant in that situation. And then also in a marriage situation, because I, I, we were in a, we were in a, a real difficult conversation. And I think you, you've got to try as a brother, you got to try as a friend. And then if you have to go to that position for, as a pastor and exercise church discipline, just be prepared. That that's probably going to change the relationship. Yeah. I think there are some things you can do maybe to attempt to mitigate it that I, I've done at times is even, um, dedicated communication channels for more official things. And what I mean by that is one of the things we did with some of the members that we kind of set those boundaries and said, hey, we need a safe place to just be friends. As we said, I do want to hear your voice when you have concerns or, and I need a, I need an avenue also to be able to, to speak to you pastorally. And so when we do that, what I'd like us to do is set, set an appointment to meet in my office Mm-hmm. And we know that when we set an appointment to meet in my office, that that's a, a place for you to, as a member, speak concerns to me about how the church is being led or things like that. But it's also a place for me to speak to you as as a pastor and to speak with that authority into your life. And we know that we're going to somewhat relegate that to, to that specific location and, and way of communicating. And that way we know when we walk into the office, that's what's happening. Mm-hmm and try to set those boundaries. But you have to, if you're going to set, it, it doesn't have to be the office. You can set whatever boundaries you want to set. But once you set that, you, you really kind of need to live by that. And so you can't, just like you don't want them to impromptu give you a job performance review while you're at lunch, you don't need to impromptu give pastoral authority correction in their life at lunch without them knowing that's what's coming. And also, I also wouldn't start the friendly lunch with, hey, we need to meet in my office tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. that's going to make the lunch really, really awkward. But but figure out a way to communicate, you know, and maybe and maybe it's it, it's I, I think it can help just to even professionally word an email, right? Email them and and say it's a joy being your pastor. There are some things I'd like to discuss. When is a good time that we could meet? 
uh, in my office. And that does let them know. And, and look, I don't know if there's a great way to say it, right? And you can even put in the email what, what it is you want to discuss because we also never like when people go, hey, we need to talk. Like that's a scary phrase. Like what what do you need to talk about? You got to give me more specific information. But creating those avenues. I've done that some and been able to maintain some friendships with some some people, but it doesn't always work. Mm-mm. More 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 than not, even if you do that, it's going to be difficult. And so here's where you have to make a choice, Pastor. Are, are you pri- are you primarily their pastor? Does does Hebrews thirteen apply here? Do you do you are you held accountable for charge of their souls and leading them? And at that point, you have to be willing to lose the friendship if necessary. Hopefully you don't. And and maybe even if you have a riff like the Apostle Paul and John Mark do in the book of Acts, well, towards the end of Paul's life, he asked for John Mark to come mm-hmm. visit him. And it seems like they reconciled at some point. And I would always attempt reconciliation if we can, especially if they're still in the church. But this is one of the hard parts, right? And of knowing that primarily I have to be your pastor. Primarily, I have this spiritual responsibility and role that I have to fulfill, and that supersedes the friendship. I think here's the last thing I would say, Bob. I think that's why having friendships with other pastors outside of your church is so important. Mm -hmm. It's people that know the world you live in. They know the pressures that you have. They know those issues, and they're people you can go to and say, Here's what I'm struggling with. How, how would you handle that? Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Hey, I'm having lunch with so-and-so or we're meeting my office. Can you just pray? And it's, it's a safe person outside of the ecosystem of your congregation that you can kind of bounce things off of and, and be friends with and, and have those healthy friendships. And you, you, I think you should try to have some friendships within the church, but they shouldn't all be there. You need some friendships outside of the church for sure. Super good word. And I concur. And um, there needs to be a, a way for you to have a conversation with another pastor about the challenges you're facing and for it to go uh, to the place where he's encouraging you to pursue Christ, to act according to the gospel, and to be a good pastor and not just commiserating with your misery, right? And those are some of the best conversations where somebody's able to do all of those things and you still feel that kindred brotherhood or friendship with them, right? I have had the conversation with a pastor that feels like I come and want to process something out and then he hands me a list of five things that I was doing wrong and then 10 that I need to do right. (laughs) It's like, okay, that's not helpful, right? I mean, it, it can be helpful, but it's like, that's not, I don't think that's quite what I was looking for. But I'm looking for someone who can just honestly hear me out and go, yeah, that's hard. Have you thought about this? Or, man, can I just push on this a little bit, right? And there's a finesse to that. And I guess what I would say, Jimbo, is the finesse that you discover in a true friendship feels really good. And, and finesse might not be the right word to, to use, but there's, a, there's a, a characteristic of a close friendship, characteristics of close friendship, where it just feels it, it's easy, right? And you feel encouraged and you feel empowered to be who God's called you to be. And so I would say, pastor, when you feel that, when you discover that, value that and be wise, be discerning, be friendly with everyone, be friends with the people. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.